This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High Performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness, craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. All right, welcome back to another episode of Efficiency On Demand. Today, I have a wonderful guest who's going to help us talk a little bit more about habits and routines. And for the people who have to go into lockdown again, we're going to chat a little bit about how we're not going to slip into those not so nice habits. I don't want to call them bad. I'm trying not to judge them, but... Let's see. Welcome to the show, Michael Dash. Thanks for having time for us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Michael, first of all, I start off usually to ask everyone, who are you? What do you do? And where are you right now? I am a magical human being full of positive energy. How about that? I love it. And it's true. <laughs> I can say yeah. that from the first 10 minutes we spoke. It's definitely true. It's funny when people ask, like, who are you? Like, most people will say what they do for a living, but that is not who we are. And it's an important reminder to myself not to label myself because when you start labeling things then you start having expectations and that's really then you start having emotions that are tied to expectations which is all unnecessary and really doesn't serve a purpose right so i try to channel that into a positive manner but in terms of where i am i'll tell you i'm in tulum mexico right now i moved here about five weeks ago from la and I've been on an entrepreneurial path through my, most of my life, formerly focused most of my time in the staffing and recruiting industry, where I had a business for 12 years before I sold it and uh, then started doing some executive coaching. I wrote a book. So I'm an author. That's what they say after you write a book. Right. And... Uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm an author, really? I was just trying to tell my story. I don't even know I'm an author. <laughs> and I've actually started a few new businesses down here in in uh, Tulum already. One is uh, supporting a women's fashion brand, fashion dresses and oils, something that I'm clearly qualified for. And then the other is we're going to be starting a podcast called uh, Tales from Tulum. And Monique, I've always wanted a podcast. I talked about it and talked about it and did nothing about it like a lot of us do about things we want in life. And I said, no, when I moved to Tulum, I made one promise to myself that I am going to have fun every single day. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to schedule fun into my calendar. And when I think of like a podcast, like, cause I like to do interviews. I like to interview people. I mean, I was in recruiting. That's all you do is interview people. Right. And I, I, I think of that as fun. And so we're starting a podcast. I love that. I love it. It is fun indeed. That's why I have my podcast. It's the second one that I have and I do podcasting for three years now. So there must be something to it. Yeah, absolutely. I can say that much. <laughs> right. So let's let's rewind a little bit. Um, so you lived in LA before. LA is pretty much known for a lot of fun too, but um, not always in the healthiest way maybe. So we talked a little bit about habits and the ones that are healthy and the ones that are maybe not so healthy. So share a little bit about like your background, where you're coming from and um, what was your transformation before you got into building habits and routines and having fun in Tulum right now? Yeah, I did live in LA, but it was for a short period of time. It was for approximately two years, the last two years of my life before I moved to Tulum. Originally, though, I'm from the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey. So I grew up basically on the East Coast, and I went to New York City right after college. And I did the whole New York City thing for 10 years. That's where uh, college, uh, really growing up, college in New York City is where a lot of poor choices were made. Uh, for myself, a lot of, uh, you know, addictive behaviors, drugs, gambling, alcohol, women, all money, all of it from a negative perspective. Uh, those things could be positive used in the right way, and but not for me. They were, it was really a detractor, a distraction, a focus, an unhealthy focus. And every day I woke up thinking about one of these addictions and how I would feed it while I was building my business and while I was working. So after I worked in New York for 10 years, I was, uh, I followed a business opportunity. It was really a side hustle out to Utah. If you're familiar where Utah is in, mm -hmm. in the U S but Utah is a beautiful state. It's got amazing mountains. It's great for climbing, for hiking, for skiing and all that stuff. But it's a predominantly Mormon culture, so it's a religious like kind of overtone of the of the state. And I came from New York City, which is like the most diverse place in the world. So it was a shock to the system. But I uh, I opened my business there. That business opportunity, which was a side hustle, I followed to Utah. It ended up becoming a business, and I moved my whole life to Utah, knowing one person in the whole state. And, uh, and then built that business and had it for over 12 years. Wow. So looking back, what do you think there was like a trigger event for you that got you in all of these addictive behaviors? Or how would you think that you get started? Well, I got started when I was very, very young, 11 years old. My uncle introduced me to gambling and gambling was my first major addiction. And from that addiction, like we won, I won the first bet I ever made with my uncle at 11 years old. And I, the feeling I got through my body, the blood that was just pumping, like at this such this level of enthusiasm that I just wanted to duplicate it over and over and over. So at 11, I found ways to gamble. 
Uh, I still, I was working my, I'm a son of an entrepreneur. So my dad ran his own business. He had a, he had a medium sized business and he had me working there since eight years old. So I was in his warehouse and all the guys in the warehouse gambled. So it was easy for me to keep gambling after my uncle introduced me to it. You know, my little league baseball coach was a bookie. So he would take bets for me when I was 12, 13, 14, 15. They would take me, the guys at my dad's store would take me to the horse track and we would bet on horses. I would take whatever money I made from my dad and I would give it to these guys and they would bet on the horses for me. So I was just gambling, gambling, gambling when I went to college, you know, and then all through high school, me and my friends would play cards all the time and we would just play card games. So every type of gambling I was into at a very early age. And when I went to college, I decided why make bets when I can take bets. And that's when I became a bookie. And I also became a drug dealer in college as I was exposed to drugs and trying more drugs out and things like that. You know, I always knew I would be an entrepreneur. I just never thought that my first entrepreneurial venture would be as a drug dealer and a bookie. <laughs> right. I think sometimes yeah. we just don't know what we get into, right? That But wasn't now... in the cards. It wasn't in the plans. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so... When was the point where you maybe woke up and was, or maybe was there even the point where you woke up and you thought like, this is going too far, I have to change it? Or was that when you moved to Utah and you didn't have the means anymore or not the connections or maybe maybe the other business was just blowing up? Yeah, you know, the, things about, the thing about addiction and the thing about drugs and gambling or any addiction is... It doesn't matter where you move, you can find whatever you need to fill that addiction, whether it's in Utah, Alaska, New York City, or Vermont, just some obscure states I thought I would throw in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, it, it wasn't, it really had nothing to do with me moving. Gambling, for instance, I stopped gambling uh, because I was tapped into my curiosity. And my brother was also a gambler. And he had stopped gambling. And one day we were in the car driving to Thanksgiving and it was like a four hour drive. And he would not allow me to put on sports radio, which I listened to all the time because I needed to know what injuries were happening, what the weather was, because I needed to decide who I was going to gamble on. And he told me he couldn't listen to it because he started going to Gamblers Anonymous. And he didn't tell me I should go. He didn't ask me to go, but it triggered a curiosity in my mind that I wanted to know what this Gamblers Anonymous did to my brother. And I wanted him, my brother back. So I decided I'm going to go to a meeting and see what these people are all about. And when I went to the meeting, I didn't have any intention on stopping. I just wanted to go like see what was happening. And uh, I actually never gambled again after going into that meeting. I had a sponsor. And they were very uh, in my face uh, about facing my reality. And I started working, you know, for the first year or two, I just didn't gamble. And then after that, I started working on myself a little bit uh, and working the steps in the program. But for, so for gambling, that's kind of how I stopped gambling. For drugs, it was a different story. And, and there were multiple drugs involved in each drug. I have a, it was kind of a different path for me. But for gambling, I, I credit and thank the uh, program 
because it gave me the core and the foundation to be able to uh, recover. Wow. And it's literally only because you were curious about your brother and kind of, was it, let me ask you, was it like you went there and you were thinking like, oh, I'm just going to hang out, see what they're doing. And then I'm going to take my brother and go out of here with him. I didn't think I would like take my brother out. I mean, no, he's a okay. grown human. Like he's going to make his own decisions, but I did think that I would maybe be able to talk him into like, Hey, this is ridiculous. You know, you're yeah. wasting your time. Why are you doing this? And I just thought I would be able to go in there and not really agree with the people in there and stuff. But when I sat in that meeting, when I first walked in, I looked around the room and I thought I was around a bunch of degenerate losers. Like they were all like blue collar people. Like I'm in my twenties back then. And I have a pinstripe suit on. I'm working in New York City. I'm making over six figures. And, that, you know, this is 20 years ago. I'm making over so that was good money. You know, I have a fancy watch, a fancy car, all this bullshit that doesn't mean anything. And all these people were like a police officer and a teacher and a crossing guard and a mailman and uh, retirees. And I looked around. I'm like, look at these losers. What am I doing here? And after two hours, I realized, wow, I have more in common with all of these people than my closest friends. And that's when I really knew I was in the right place. Right. I really love that they were able to just open your eyes in, in just like two hours and make you see like, oh, hell, <laughs> if I may just say that I'm one of those losers, too, because that's how you labeled them in the beginner in the beginning. Right. But after all, they're not all they're like, none of you were a loser. You were actually winning right. because you were there. Right. So 100 percent. Right. So after your trip, well, you know, well, of, you know, you, you, I was just going to say, you know, like 20 years ago, working on yourself wasn't a thing. Like there was none of this personal development, like stuff going on. And the program is, is par partially personal development mm -hmm. and partially sobriety. And whether it's Gamblers Anonymous, AA, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, any of that stuff, the foundation is actually sobriety, but it's embedded with self-development and self-improvement. Right. And I think that's super important. I personally believe you can't do one without the other. I, so, I agree. Right. So I personally, I have never been addicted to alcohol or drugs or, or cigarettes or whatever. I did drink quite a lot of alcohol in my, in my opinion, was a lot. It was enough for me. Um, but I didn't drink for the past 10 years and I just stopped. Wow. Like, I just one day I was done with it being having my mind numbed by some outside influences. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to get rid of alcohol. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop sugar. That sugar thing is still sometimes hanging on me. <laughs> I still love donuts. So, <laughs> <but> <laughs> donuts. That's great. Those donuts. Why but donuts? Why do you love donuts out of everything? Oh my God, like the squishy, fluffy, no, don't make me explain it. I want to go and eat some. <laughs> I'm going to end up leaving the house getting a donut now. I mean, I, I haven't talked to somebody who's expressed such a love for donuts in so long. This is incredible. 
I mean, I used to, like my friends would used to buy the 12 packs of donuts for me for my birthday, knowing that I wouldn't share some with them. So they had to buy another six pack for my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, it was. I love it. And also a little bit unhealthy because I would, I like sugar was probably an addiction, to be honest. Like I would eat a lot of sugar even yeah. raw sugar, you know, the sugar cubes you put into tea. Yeah. yeah. I would eat like, I would eat them raw. Just. Wow. So that, that was a, a little lot. disgusting. So, <laughs> but I got rid of that. <laughs> but, um, so ever since like in the past 10 years, I never drank alcohol again. I did smoke about 10 cigarettes in 10 years. So I guess one, one a year, We'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. Thanks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what would you say going through a journey of giving up gambling and giving up truck dealing, taking trucks, what would you say was the hardest part? The hardest part is disassoci- disassociating yourself with people that you you believe in your mind are friends of yours, but they're really not friends of yours. They're gambling buddies or they're drug buddies or their party friends, but they're not really friends of yours. And like removing yourself from that environment is a key to changing your your future, your present. Like it, you are the sum of the people that you hang out with. So I think that was the biggest challenge. And once I was able to remove myself from there, everything became a little bit easier. Mm. I love that. I think it's sometimes really hard because if you are in this environment, it's kind of the only environment that you're in. It's hard to see how they cannot be your friends because you're always around them. So yeah, but they're supporting me. I'm sure they support me in getting rid of trucks. Well, no, once you're not taking them anymore, you're not that fun for them anymore. Right. Or you grew up with them and you're like, well, I've been friends with these people for so long, you know, I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to cut them out of my life at this point. And that's the wrong thought process to have. If they are not a positive force in your life, if they are not helping elevate you, you should eliminate them from your life. If they are draining on you because they always have a problem that they need to talk to you about without even asking if you're open for it, they just invite themselves into disrupting your energy flow like it's very important that we are we keep that like in our bubble and we keep that energy flow that we're building because of the work we're putting in and protect ourselves from that other energy of other people and stand up for ourselves and i'm saying this because i'm speaking to me because this has been happening to me where i like uh, uh you know i put myself out there to help others because i've been through a lot myself and i feel like you know, I, I can give good advice because I've given, I've made so many mistakes. But the flip side of that is people inviting themselves into your space and just dumping their shit on you without asking your permission to do that. And in those circumstances, what I've learned is I need to just say something. Right. And I need to just say, hey, with all due respect, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here having my coffee. This is kind of my morning routine to get my day started in a positive light. You know, I'm really, uh, I'm not in a position to receive what you're dealing with right now. And I just want to be honest with you. Yeah. 
And that that's hard for a lot of people to do because it's hard for me to do. Like I didn't do it the other day. And this, this, this one, this girl I'm friends with, I mean, on and on and on at 8 AM in the morning, she sees me at the coffee shop. She sits down next to me and tells me she had the worst morning ever. I'm like, it's 8 AM. Like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm working, I'm getting my day started right. And you're telling me your day's already ruined. Like that, that's like, no, I, so I, I sat there for a half hour and after it, I was kicking myself because I knew what I had to do that I didn't do, but that I will do moving forward. Right. I love that. And you mentioned energy flow right now. And I want to go a little bit deeper on that, because first of all, I know that it's really important for you and your progress you made in the past years. But also, I know it's a really important concept. And I talk about that also in my book and whatever in like on my Facebook all day, every day about how to preserve our energy, how to build the energy up. And as it just said, you know, saying no, sometimes just like, no, no, like you can talk to me maybe tonight, how this was the worst morning ever, but just yeah. don't let it be your ruined morning, but not make it my morning too. You know, it's like one morning ruined is enough morning ruins, you know? So Totally, totally. But you know, People, a lot of people are so self-absorbed in their own mm -hmm. shit that they don't recognize the, that what they're doing to other people and how they're, that if they did that, they would never do that to themselves, but they have no problem <laughs> doing it to somebody else. I, okay. So I just had this experience as well. I spent some time with a friend and this friend would consistently talk about sometimes four or five hours a day talk about some experiences or whatever transformations whatever is so heavy and everything and literally load this upon me and I could set these boundaries I was saying can we not talk about this now can we like I would do all of this and yet the conversation would always circle back and I literally had to walk off at times walking away literally had to set really strict boundaries and yet when I once came and said like, oh, today I feel really low and energy. That was all I said. Oh, wow, this is too heavy to, for me. I can't talk about this. And I'm like, oh, okay. So as you just said, it's really incredible how sometimes these people come and put the whole package on you. And you and I just come along, for example, in my example, and, and I just said, I, I'm low on energy today. And I wasn't about to talk about that for two weeks or like five hours. And yet they're like, oh no, that's too much. So it's like incredible how that works sometimes with the projection, perception, and they can't look in the mirror is incredible. <laughs> so talk to me about yeah. how you learned about this energy flow and how you're trying to get the, uh, the energy protected. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, my life changed about three and a half years ago when I took a trip to Bali. At the time I was running my business, I was in a lawsuit with my ex-business partner, which lasted six years and really destroyed my life. I allowed it to destroy my life or run my life. I shouldn't say destroy because I'm here. I'm alive. I got a lot to be uh, uh, grateful for. But, you know, at the time I was running a company that was running me. I was what I felt was stuck in a six year lawsuit. I had a, a built a life that kind of boxed me in and 
you know, I owned like, and these are all, please, I don't want anybody to feel bad for me. Like these are all high society problems. Okay. So I don't want it to come off like I'm some pretentious jerk complaining. I'm not, I'm just describing the situation I was in. So I was like, I, I ended up like uh, buying these houses and renting them out, but I was managing it all because in my mind, why would I pay somebody to manage my houses? No, I can do all that shit. So I was doing that. I had invested in a bar that was not a good investment because it was a party scene, number one, and I was all involved in that. But number two, my partners were, one was a, a druggie and the other was a bookie and had, one had a gambling problem, one had a drug problem. And that was obviously perfect for me because I had both of those. And now these are my partners. So, you know, the, the bar ended up going belly up. So I lost a big investment in that. Uh, the lawsuit cost me over, like I had over working for all those years and building my business, I had, you know, uh, saved a million dollars. Like I had a million dollars in my bank account. And the lawsuit cost me $1 million just for my legal team over six years. Just my team, not even the lawsuit itself, but that's what it cost my own lawyers. And so I was miserable and I couldn't get out of this lawsuit and I couldn't get sell the company if I had a lawsuit on the company. And I just wanted to like end my life. At the same time, I was taking Adderall every day. So I was highly addicted to Adderall. If you're familiar with Adderall, I was doing, taking GHB. I was smoking weed. I was drinking on the weekends. I was doing all this stuff. And this is after my gambling habit was done. My cocaine habit was done. I hadn't done those drugs in like a decade and I hadn't gambled. I haven't gambled now in 15 years, but the other stuff I was, you know, when you're addicted, cross addictions are very easy. And I was one of those people. So sorry for the long explanation about where I was in my life at that point, but that's where I was. I took a trip to Bali on a whim because I just wanted to go to Bali and I would join this retreat called unconventional life. And like, I didn't even know what I was joining, but it was a bunch of people who were creating their own life on their terms, not based on societal norms. Right. So a lot of digital nomads and a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to pave their own path and things of this nature. When I was there in a workshop, there were two people talking about flow consciousness and living in a state of flow, an effortless state where decisions and things are manifested in your life, where you can actually manifest your future. And, you know, they were talking about how they had these corporate jobs and they were great jobs, but they were not happy human beings. And they left these jobs and they manifested their lives and started studying flow. And now they're being flown all over the world to talk about flow for free and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> all these butterflies. And I was just like, like when I was sitting in there, I was looking to the person next to me and I said, this is a bunch of bullshit. I'll tell you right now, right? They're talking about synchronicities. I'm like, no, this is not synchronicities. I'm like, like coincidence. That's what this is. Coincidences happen in life. If you work hard, good shit happens to you. Like this was my mentality because I was trained and programmed to think this way. Like we all are programmed at a very young age, right? Because our parents just don't know any better. That's all they do. They were programmed by their parents. And so they just pass it on to us. And so I was programmed into thinking these things. 
So when they started talking about being able to manifest and synchronicities and all this stuff, again, I just thought it was BS, but I was in so much pain and agony at the time that I was willing to like keep an open mind. I talked to them after the session. And when I flew back from Bali to Utah, I just kept thinking to myself, would it be so bad to live a different way? And I just kept saying that to myself over and over. And it started feeling so much lighter in my body. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to take their course. And so I took this, like, I think it's a 10 week course that they do online. If anyone's interested, it's called flow consciousness Institute. And it basically saved my life. Like we went through this process of clearing limiting beliefs through journaling, EMDR, tapping, and these things were foreign to me. I wasn't, I didn't know what these uh, uh, rapid eye movement and tapping and doing all these things. I thought it was weird as shit. Like <laughs> it was so weird, but I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't judge anything because I judged everything and everyone like this immediately. I had a judgment for you. I didn't judge it. I did it. And things started actually changing in my life. All the problems I was trying to solve with my conscious mindset were not working. But as soon as I let go of it, and as soon as I started, like I was able to talk about these things and I was manifesting solutions. And eventually about a year later, after I studied, started studying flow, I was able to settle my lawsuit of six years and sell my business within the same week. And it was just like magic because I never thought I would be able to get out of it. And so I sold my business and with all the proceeds, I paid off all my lawyer bills. I paid off the loans I had and I just started over. I went to California and I'm like, you know what? I don't have the money I used to have, but I am so much more fulfilled now than I was then with a million dollar plus, whatever, with all these houses, with these cars, these suits, I don't have any of it. And I am happy as can be. I love that. I love it. Have you ever read uh, Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? Yes, I have read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. It's a great title and a better book. <laughs> He actually, it's very interesting because um, I first read one of his blog posts titled, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Or if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. I think that's the blog post title. And I think he wrote it four years or five years before the book. And I must have read the blog post, I think a year after it was out. So it's like, it's probably like five, six years ago that I wrote this, uh, that I read the blog post. And I thought to myself already by then, oh yeah, that so makes sense. You know, if it's not really, if you're not screaming yes to it, why would you even do it, right? And it's very interesting because it came alongside the journey with me moving out of Germany and I was I was completely burned out I had a really health issues I had a spinal injury like I had a real shit show going on in my life and that was like seven years ago and and then I went on another trip like I traveled a lot already by this time and I remember this blog post and I thought to myself should I really go back to this job and like I was on this trip and I started bawling in the airplane I was 
like crying so much. It was like, <laughs> and the stewardess was like, are you okay? Do you have a panic attack? Are you so afraid of flying? I'm like, no, I just don't want to go back to my job. And she's like, oh, and she was so shocked about this. I, I couldn't stop crying for 12 hours. This was a 12 hour flight. So poor stewardess, <laughs> but um, wow. and, yeah. And so I came home. Uh, I was yeah. just going to say, well, you know, getting it out can be a really good thing. You know, it was. crying and letting it all go and releasing it. It was because by this time I never cried. I literally, I mean that I haven't been crying in my life up until this point. And so I sat in this airplane and I landed and I called my best friend. I said, like, I'm moving out of Germany. And he's like, are you on trucks? I'm like, did I ever take trucks? No. I'm like, okay, so why this question? I'm, I'm moving out. And he's like, <laughs> where? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just moving like some country anywhere on the other side of, you know, the planet. And six months later, I moved to Thailand in 2014 for the first time. So, so far to hell yes or no. And, uh, and you haven't left and you're still there. That's crazy. It's great. I'm, I'm here again. So it's, uh, I, I come back consistently. <laughs> oh, you left and came back. Yeah. And then I left again and I came back again. I kept traveling in between. Yeah. Tra so, I tell you, traveling is one of the, what people who don't travel, like I, I really have empathy for them because I've learned more traveling than in any college, in any high school, in any job. When you can go to another country and meet people from a different background and learn their culture, it brings perspective into your life. And when you have perspective, then you can be grateful about how amazing that we have it, regardless of what trauma we're going through, regardless of what ups and downs we're going through. We are so fortunate that most of us do not take the time to show gratitude to ourselves and to the world. And it's like extremely important. I 100% agree. The reason why I travel so consistently so much for 15 years is because of that, is my life school basically. And I wouldn't want to stop and I have, I have people asking me all the time, yeah, but you have the money. Why don't you stay in like four or five star hotels and these and that? And it's exactly because of that. I sleep on yeah. the floor with bucks and cockroaches and everything with local people for weeks because of exactly what you just said. I want to get to know them and their culture and the way they live and also what it means sometimes to just be in that environment and and what it means for them to live daily life, you know? So yes, yeah, sometimes it means I have to sleep on the floor, share my bed with cockroaches. It's not like preferable, but at, at times, like I've sit in a bus for 26 hours to get into the jungle in Bolivia to be able to, to live with the locals in the jungle there for, for like a week or two, I was there, so. Wow, that sounds incredible. It was. Do you uh, do you have a bed right now? I do. It's right behind me in the room. Great news. <laughs> and it was I've had too. Two, I've had two back surgeries, so I know what back pain is about. Um, oh my god! So it's good you have a bed. It's good you have a bed. I had four discs herniating and prolapsing and cutting off my spinal cord, so I'm not gonna uh, voluntarily have no bed. That's for sure. <laughs> 
Good. Take care of yourself. Yeah, I had two microdisectomies myself. Oh, damn. Yeah. Speaking of back pain, let's take a little break <laughs> and then getting to what you're actually doing now and where this whole journey took you, because we're slowly getting already to the end of the podcast, but I definitely want to hear about what it's all about, the habits and the flow. You're listening to Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique. We'll be right back after these messages. But in the meantime, find more resources at EfficiencyOnDemand.com. Hey, everyone. This is your host, Monique. If you want to learn more about time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency, then you can now order my new book, The Time Method, and a Bullshit Guide to Creating an Abundance of Time. Just go to www.thetimemethod.com or you can click the link in the show notes below. And please, I would love for you if you can share, rate, and review this podcast so many other people can find and benefit from it too. Thanks for tuning in. I really love to have you here. You're listening to Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique. And we are back on Efficiency on Demand with Michael Dash. And we are in flow. I love it. Flow consciousness is such a great concept. And I feel like it's probably really helpful for you as well with the work that you're doing now, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, my eyes are just open to these magical things that happen to us that a lot of us just chalk up to coincidence <laughs> or we don't really believe that the universe is working with us and not against us. It's so much easier for human beings to think negatively than it is to think positively. It's so much easier for us to criticize ourselves over and over again about, oh, we don't look good enough, or, oh, we should have acted differently in this scenario, mm -hmm. or, oh, that person doesn't like me, or whatever it might be. The, the fact is, though, if we had friends who talked to us the way we talk to ourselves, we would never be friends with that person. 100%. But, but we do it to ourselves all the time because we've been programmed to act in a certain way, to have expectations on everything. And that you eat, so when you have expectations on things, then that's automatically tying your emotions up because you're either going to not fulfill those expectations or exceed them. And it's gonna to be tied to an emotional like thought or emotional feeling that's fleeting. And it's not really a, a, a real feeling. It just comes and goes, right? So I think like being able to identify some of those things and being able to really approach life in a manner that if it's not, you know, I'll go back to the saying, if it's not a hell yes, then it should be a fuck no for you. So like I was living in LA, I, after I sold my business in Utah, I moved to LA because I wanted to be close to the ocean. And for the first year, it was, it was kind of okay. Um, and then I realized that I went to Venice and I was looking for kind of spiritual community, you know, a mind, a growth mindset type community, entrepreneur community, but I really didn't find it there. 
I found a lot of uh, fake kind of uh, spiritual people. They would dress the part. They would talk the part, but they wouldn't act the part. And eventually it led me to take a trip to Tulum because I, I was really trying to go to Costa Rica, but they're not letting Americans in. And every month I was looking, are they, uh, can I get in? Can I get in? And I couldn't. And then I saw a friend posted a picture in Tulum and I said, where are you? And she's like, I'm in Tulum. I'm like, all right, I'm coming down in two days. Like I have to get out of LA. It was, it's like a port. It's like a really bad place to be right now because on top of everything else you have going on in the world and the U S with the elections and all that in California, you also have the fires that are really out of control. Mm -hmm. The home, the homeless problem is as bad as it's ever been. The drugs on the streets are terrible. Mental illness is at a whole all time high. And I would just hear fire trucks and police all day long, like literally four or five times a day come past my house. And I was just like, I have to get out of here. So I went to Tulum just to get away for a week and I fell in love with Tulum and I decided I'm breaking my lease in LA and I'm moving down here. And that's exactly what I did. And it all happened in flow. It wasn't an active decision I set out to make. I lived life. It felt like a hell yes. My intuition was telling me this is the place for you. And I followed my intuition. In fact, I had never looked up or researched Tulum, Mexico in my life before I came here. Never on my radar, never wanted to go there, never knew anything about it. Didn't know about the amazing Mayan culture that this community has. Didn't know about these uh, just amazing cenotes. I didn't even know what a cenote was. And what? if anybody's listening who, who doesn't know, you know, it's like a cave underground and filled with water. And it's, it's gorgeous and they're amazing. I had no idea. I'd never even heard of a cenote. I mean, I'm from Jersey. Uh, we don't have cenotes in New Jersey, you know? So, so yeah. And, and being able, I would never have been able to do that if I hadn't been training myself to follow my intuition and not to overthink things and not to question things and just to go with things. And so the ability to do that. Uh, has allowed me to really build a magical life. Yeah, I love that. Cenotes are sinkholes. Sinkholes. Yeah. Well, full of sparkly turquoise fresh water because the water comes from the underground. And it's just the most amazing thing. And one thing I can not recommend is if you find a sinkhole with a bridge where, or like, it's not a bridge, but sometimes they have like little platforms where you can jump in from. Don't jump in more than once. Because sometimes they're like 15 meters, which is like 50 feet high. And if you jump like me five times, you can bruise your tailbone. Don't try that at home. Or in Tulum. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I will uh, thank you for the recommendation. Um, I've, I've, uh, I actually got my scuba certification when I came down here. It was one of the first things I did because it was on my bucket list and I tried to do it a couple of years ago and I didn't. And I said, I will, you know, just because it didn't happen then doesn't mean it's not going to happen now. And I did my dives in the cenotes and I was diving in all these caves and one of the caves is a bat cave. So when you pop your head up, 
there's bat, a thousand bats just yes. hanging there. And yes. it was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible to experience. Um, and the bats are more scared of us, just like all animals. Most animals are more scared of humans than we are of the bats. So I love that. Yeah, it was a great, great experience. Yeah. There is a remind me afterwards or send me an email about it after the episode that I'm going to send you the best place to dive in Mexico because there is a there is a bay in Mexico where whale sharks and manta rays are meeting but it's only like in March and April every year I think and then if you go there it's like a festival of whale sharks and manta rays and it's the most beautiful thing ever in the world despite the elephants that we have in Thailand wow have you done that No, but I'm a scuba dive instructor, so I have an I have an instructor license, oh. and I missed that part by a month, I think, a month or two. That was late. Yeah, please do send it send it over. Yeah. Come come in and instruct me in March. Yeah. You'll be able to travel then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to instruct anymore. I have to redo the license oh, for it. No, because uh, the instructor license is like so many years ago and you have to redo the license like every yeah. couple of years. It's a Makes bit ago, sense. but I can still dive. So, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so how do you use basically the concept of flow or maybe you don't, but um, to build your habits and do you do that for your clients as well? Yeah, so... When it comes to habits, I'm a big believer in the uh, in getting into that. I call it the habit of habit making. So getting into a habit of making habits. And like as we evolve in life, the whole goal is that your habits also evolve with you because the same habits that you had five years ago might not resonate with you now. Like for me, they don't. Like the habits I had five years ago, They don't resonate with me now. You know, I've matured, I've learned a lot and I try to, you know, change my habits with me. I mean, so for me personally, I believe that, you know, like everybody, morning routines are so important and blah, 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 right? Everybody talks about it and yada, yada, but it's true. So I just believe in, in, in getting momentum in the morning, positive momentum, small things, and just doing small things and accomplishing small things before you get into the, you know, the, the meat of your day, as I call it. So like, obviously, hopefully everybody's getting up and brushing their teeth and it's like an automatic thing, but like making your bed. Yeah. Thank you for crossing your fingers um, <laughs> for the world. Making your bed is something I never did. And it's really important to just make your bed every morning. And it puts you in that organized state and that organized feeling. So every morning I get up, brush my teeth, make my bed, and then I move my body. So I'll go walk to a coffee shop because I love my coffee. So I, I, walk, I go to a coffee shop, I have my coffee and I do reading. And the way I read is I take notes every time I, I read a book because then I can go back to it and without having to reread the book, just take the key points and reintegrate them into my mind. So I'll read the book, I'll get the walk, I'll walk, uh, uh, you know, I'll do probably 20 pages of reading in the morning. And then I'll walk back to my place. And then I've like, I've, I've already built some momentum. So, you know, brush my teeth. I made my bed. I exercised. I, even though it's walking, it still counts. I exercised. I read. I got my mind moving, my body moving. And all right, now I'm ready to 
lean into the workday and start my, you know, whatever I don't want to do, I usually try to do first mm-hmm. because it's called like the, the premise of eat the frog. If you've ever heard the, uh, the saying eat the frog or the book, eat the frog, it talks about like doing the hardest thing first. And then the rest of the day is smooth sailing for you. Yep. So it's, it's a challenging concept actually, because it's easy for us to procrastinate and get other things done first. But when you do it, it feels amazing. So that's kind of how I start my morning. Other people meditate. Sometimes I'll meditate. I don't consistently meditate, but I consistently go to sound baths and uh, sound therapy, sound bowl therapy, sound healings. They changed my life. If anybody's listening to this and has never gone, I tell you, you must Google sound bowl therapy within the 30 mile radius. You'll find a place wherever you are in the world because it's they're everywhere and you will thank me later you welcome it changed my life and it basically it's you lay down in a meditative state and they uh and the the person who's running it takes you through a sound journey with sound bowls usually crystal bowls and tibetan bowls and bowls from the himalayans and and things like that and various instruments and they just take you like on this journey of sound and it's just so peaceful and so calming and any anxiety you walk into that with will just drip off of you and will melt into the floor and I literally feel high when I'm leaving those sessions and I haven't had to take any drug to feel it they're super powerful so that's how I kind of get my meditations through those I love it but yeah they become habits and they, they become habits yeah so I never did that five years ago. You know, that wasn't part of my routine five years ago. Right. I love that. I love the sound healing and sound bath I have on the app Insight Timer that is free to access. There are uh, sound healing and sound bath recordings that you can access. And I use one with the Tibetan bowls for sleeping. Yeah, so it's like an hour and a half recording that is basically like a sleep meditation and it's so easy to fall asleep, but also it has like a subconscious effect to uh, relax and to basically, yeah, get every, like get rid of everything from the day. So it's amazing. Very clearing. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I love love it. it. I love it. So we have actually just two more minutes left and I have two very fast questions for you. So, For the second round of the lockdown that's happening in some parts of the country, can you give three tips to the people out there how to not slip back into unhealthy habits? Uh, So I would say the first is to move your body every single day. Move your body, regardless of what that means to you. It could mean, you know, going out and taking a walk with your mask on, of course, if those are the restrictions that are applied to you. Uh, It could be if the gyms are open, going to the gym or just working out in your house. Like there's so many workouts online. There's really no excuse. If you want to do it, then you'll do it. It's just up to you. Right. But when you move your body, you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's just a natural feeling. And it's important to keep your mental state in an elevated state. And it's easy to get depressed with the world controlling everybody right now with the people in power, putting this control on society. So you have to stay in a positive mindset. The way to do that is several ways, whichever resonates with you. You can meditate. 
right? And you can meditate in silence mm-hmm. or you can meditate uh, on a guided meditation. You can read. I started reading again. It's funny. I wrote a book and I was telling everybody, buy my book. And then I realized, wow, you're being a hypocrite. I hadn't read a book in five years. And I'm like, how can I tell people to buy my book if I'm not reading books? So I started reading, I started reading books again about a year and a half ago. I literally hadn't stopped reading books. I was just reading business articles and business strategy. So I started reading self-development books and they really put me in a great mindset. Um, so move your body like, or listen to positive podcasts. That's, that's another one like this one, Monique, this is a great start, everybody. So move your body, work, work your brain out and stay connected. That would be the third one. Schedule zoom call. Don't have any phone calls. Do all your calls on video. It's so much more interactive and your mind and, and you just feel so much more uplifted when you see the face of beautiful people, of people in your life, of all these things that brighten you up. So those are my three tips. I love it. Last minute, and then I have another person waiting for me already. So what does efficiency mean to you? Efficiency actually means allowing flow to provide inspiration, to provide output. That's what efficiency means to me. I love it. Michael, it's been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for having time. And please tell everyone where they can find you and what they can find there and how they can get your book. Great. Yeah, my website is www.michaelg- and that's spelled out dash.com. And you can find me on social, you know, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Instagram, On Instagram, I'm M-D-A-S-H-1, and then just my name on the other two. And uh, yeah, my book, it's called Chasing the High, if you can see it in the corner here, if you're watching. And it is an entrepreneur's mindset through addiction, lawsuits, and journey to the edge. It's on Amazon, and it is also on Audible. If you want to hear this Jersey accent, read the book. You can go to Audible or uh, on Amazon, just go to chasingthehighbook.com. And I really appreciate you having me, Monique. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate that. Everyone listening, you know where to find all the links to Michael's page and to the book. They are, as usual, in the show notes down below, and you should check everything out. Also, give us a like and a review and share this podcast because everyone needs to hear stories like Michael's. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.